Welcome to Betrayal Trauma Recovery. This is Anne. I went to an event the other night and I saw an old friend and she and I went to college together. And at that event, I learned that she had been through the same thing that all of us have who listen to this podcast. So I'm going to call her Diane. I have not heard her story yet. So to all of our listeners, you will be hearing it just as I am hearing it after not seeing her or having contact with her for, what has it been, 20 years? Yeah, 20 years, exactly. Okay, so welcome, Diane. Thank you, I'm so happy to be here with you. When we knew each other in college, you had a one-year-old daughter? Yes, well, she's 23 now, so she would have been, yeah, I guess, two and a half when we were, yeah. Mm -hmm. And we graduated together in education, and we were going to become teachers and we both did become teachers so let's pick up there because that's the last time I talked to you so tell me about your relationship and what you were going through after you graduate from college did you know at that time that you were in an abusive relationship so my story is kind of funny because I was with the same man for 23 years right after I graduated from college I had another child and then we actually got divorced. And at that time, I did not know of his addiction or what was happening with him. And then we actually got remarried. I remarried him because he came back to me and then we were together for another 17 years. And in the last two years, I found out everything. So for that entire 17 year period, he was a sex addict and he had multiple things going on, but it didn't come to a head until about a year and a half ago. Let's talk about your first divorce from Ed. So this is what, two years after we graduate from college? Yes. Yeah, 2001. Okay. So at this time, what did you think was the cause of that first divorce? What's so hard about all of this is I thought it was me. And for so many years, I thought it was me and I needed to be better and I wasn't enough. And I was always trying to live that standard. And now going through all the things, that's why I saw you and I was like, I'm so happy. I wish I would have found your podcast and your website a year ago because it's been this journey of hardship for a long time just this last year but at that first time he actually had had an affair but I didn't know that and so I just thought it was me and so then when he came back to me I was like oh I'm changed I'm better I'm good so he said I'm leaving you I'm just not happy in this marriage you're just not good enough or whatever and he takes off all right meanwhile he is lying to you manipulating you and abusing you because the things he's telling you aren't true and he's putting you down on purpose to hide his own stuff, right? You don't know any of this. Two years after the divorce, he comes back and says, I messed up. You are amazing. And honestly, now I look at it and it was like love bombing totally. Like, I love you. You're the best thing that ever happened to me. I want to be a good dad to our kids. And so of course I was like, yes, I want to save my family. I want him to be the dad he can be to my kids. So I thought, oh yes, he's changed. I've changed. We've grown up a little bit. So then we got back together and we proceeded to have two more kids. And um, throughout this time, it was always that borderline of I need to be better. If I was thinner, if I'm cleaner, if I am keeping these, then he'll be happy. And so I look at it now and I'm like, what was wrong with me? But I was, I was in this cycle of trying to make him happy while giving more and more and more and more and taking less and less and less from him. Let's talk about the abuse that people generally recognize as abuse, and then we'll talk about the abuse that's hidden. 
So in terms of the obvious abuse that everybody is like, oh, that's abuse. Was there any physical violence or like screaming and yelling in your face or punching walls or anything like that that was happening? He was never physically abusive to me in any way that way, but he would get in my face and make me feel like, why is the house so messy? Kind of belittle me in front of our kids and things like that. He was never physically abusive to me. Okay. And then you didn't know for these 17 years that you were in an abusive relationship, right? You didn't know you were being lied to and manipulated and gaslit on purpose to hide his own stuff. No, I didn't. And I look at it now and I'm like, how did I not know? It's crazy to me. I haven't known you for 20 years, but I knew you 20 years ago. And you are smart. Well, I would think so, right? I have two master's degrees. I should be smart enough to see this, but you don't. And that's one thing I really, whenever I talk to people, I'm like, you don't realize because they're master manipulators. He makes the world fit his needs. And I was totally okay with that. I just went along with it. So how did you find out? So my ex is a military person. And so we actually had moved to a new duty station. And at this point, I thought, oh, good, this is our starting over. We're going to renew. We're going to be a better family. And at that point, he started dating somebody else. And so he just became increasingly mean to me to the point that I thought something was seriously wrong with me. I started going to a therapist at that point because I'm like, what is wrong with me? I am nothing. And every day he found something wrong with me. He would tell me how horrible I was, just horrible things. And at that point, I was like, what is going on with me? And it wasn't until my daughter, the daughter we talked about, she looked at me and she said, mom, is dad having an affair? And so then I started looking and I started looking at different things. And then that's when I found out. I found out that he had been. When I first found out, he told me it was an emotional affair because I looked at the text messages and I found text messages. So he told me there was nothing physical. So then I thought, okay, well, I'm going to be better. I'm going to love him better. You know, that kind of thing. And then about a month later, I found he had been using a different app. There was a text from the girl who said, I've been so spoiled lately that I haven't woken up next to you. I can't wait till we do it again. So I confronted him. And then the world fell apart because he was going to be better. He was going to love me, blah, blah, blah. I fell apart for a little while. How did you find out about the additional abuse and betrayal from the whole 17 years? Did it just start coming out or... Was it something that you started piecing together? Both, actually. So what happened is I just became super detective, like looking through emails, looking through everything. And I started to see kind of this pattern of things where he'd been on porn sites that I had just never believed that was really happening, I guess. And then I found that he'd been on dating sites. He'd been dating his military. So every time he was away from me, he was dating, he was sleeping with other people. He was doing all of these things. And so I confronted him. And I think at one point he finally felt better just to kind of, for lack of a better term, verbal diarrhea, everything. (laughs) I still think there's probably stuff I don't know, which I'm kind of good not knowing. But definitely from their first divorce until this divorce, he had been with multiple partners, multiple people doing whatever he wanted to do, basically. So when you said, I fell apart, what do you mean by that? I'll tell you what I did. I sat on the couch and ate buckets of popcorn. I gained a ton of weight. I watched a lot of Netflix. I watched every episode of The Good Wife, which, by the way, is the perfect show to watch when you're going through this. So what did your falling apart look like? So my fall apart, actually, I went the other way. I did not eat for probably four months. Like I lost 30 pounds. And I just, again, internalized that it was me. I think about it. 
that abuse had been such a cycle of I'm not enough. So I'll be better. I'll show him how much better I am. I've, I'll show him that I'm better than anybody else he would choose kind of thing. On top of all of this, so there's one extra component there. I found out my mom had a brain tumor three days after I found out the full affair he'd been having this time. So it was like my whole world exploded. I could not sleep. I couldn't eat. And I just was cycling. My therapist calls it future tripping, that I would just be like, oh, I need to do this better. I need to do that better. I did not read a book for like six months. And for me, that was crazy. You know, I'd get two sentences and just cycle again. And so it was hard. That's not crazy. That's totally normal. We graduated in English teaching. So everybody knows we're both readers, right? Yeah. So the same thing happened to me. Like I completely stopped reading. I couldn't read. I would try and I couldn't do it, which is part of why I decided to start podcasting instead of just blogging because I was like, victims can't read. They can't process information, but they can listen. So that was one of the reasons why I did a podcast instead. You're so brilliant. That was exactly what is necessary. So yeah. So you're losing weight. You can't read really quickly. What happened with your mom? So my mom actually passed away on May 2nd. So this all came out March 3rd and my mom died May 2nd. And so it was just trauma on trauma on trauma. This is my least favorite story to tell. I have to tell you. So what happened is, so my ex was very, very careful. He didn't want anyone to know about what he'd been doing. One of the reasons is he's military, but he was also very manipulative. If you go through narcissistic betrayals, he obviously wanted everyone to believe how good he was, who he was. So he came to my mom's funeral and acted all the part and loving and everything else. And then literally when we buried my mom, it had been two hours. He came to my house because at this point we were living together and asked if we could discuss the terms of our divorce in front of my children two hours after I buried my mom. That one was the icing on the cake. I was like, no, as much as I... I'm hurt. This is my boundary. You need to leave. Time and time again, women come on the podcast to share their stories. And I'm so amazed at the horror. And I call it horror. Like the jaws of hell were like gaping after you. I'm sure that's what it felt like, right? So, so much. That phrase came into my mind many times. (laughs) Mine too. I just felt like hell was trying to swallow me whole. And I was just like holding on by like a piece of dental floss. So true. Any amount of just staying alive every single day, just making it through. I'm so sorry about your mom. I'm so sorry. I've said many times, the divorce was fine. Just losing my mom was so difficult at this time. If you lose your spouse, you know, you lose a marriage, usually you have your mom to go to or vice versa. If you lose your mom, usually you have somebody to depend on. And I kind of felt like everything was gone all in one. I've learned so much in this year. I tell people all the time and people come to me and, and everybody has a story. We all have these trauma that we face. And I just say, be patient with yourself. How many times I'm like, I just want to feel better. I want to be better today. Just be patient with yourself and be kind to yourself because it's going to take a little while. (laughs) When did you start realizing that it wasn't you? When did you start realizing, wait a minute, he's been an abuser the entire time. When did you start waking up to that reality? I think when I really did is when my mom was sick. So my mom, she had the brain tumor, but what happened is called carcinomata meningitis. She had cancerous meningitis, so she was fine on April 1st, and she passed away May 2nd, so it was like four weeks really fast, and so I had come back home. I was trying to help. It was still about him. I'm going through this trauma and all of this, and he was still trying to protect his image, and at that point, I was like, wait a second. This isn't me. 
you know, and it wasn't about my kids losing their grandma. It was just, he had to be safe. He had to protect himself from anybody thinking badly of him. And so that was my first kind of indication, but it took me a long time to really just go, wait, I have worth. I'm okay with who I am. And he's been trying to destroy me for so long, but I'm not going to lie. Even like some days I just still feel like, wait, what's wrong with me? And I'm like, wait, no, that's that manipulation. I need to stop and be okay. I'm okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. How would you describe your clarity now after a year has gone by? My ex is with his girlfriend that he left me for. And I think about it. I'm like, I just want to grab her and be like, listen, this is going to happen. This is what he's doing. (laughs) He's love bombing you. He's gaslighting you. He's going to use you till there's nothing left. And then I have to step back and be like, that's my clarity. I can see that. But there's no way that she'd be able to see that. And she would just say, oh, she's some crazy ex-wife trying to warn me here. But I can see that for me. And I can see it for my kids. And that's what's so hard. Because he still does it to my kids. He manipulates them. And so I just have to step back and be like, they're going to have to realize it for themselves as well. But it still hurts. It still hurts. Like I can see it and it is very clear. But there's still those elements that sometimes it still does affect me and it still bugs me. But I'm happy that I am where I am now. Yeah. So your oldest daughter, she was the one that tipped you off and said, maybe dad's having an affair. Have you guys talked about it since? Why did she say that? How does she feel about it? We actually just moved out of state. She is trying to escape the cycle as well because she's finally realized. But the reason she saw it is because she saw how changed he was because she'd grown up with this dad who was so genuinely interested in her. And then all of a sudden, she didn't mean anything to him either. She wasn't enough. And so he started to change on her as well. And so she was wondering why. And now she's not part of the supply because she doesn't believe any of his lies anymore. So he is just mean to her. And so she wanted to escape where we are. That's why she moved out of state because she wants to be away. And so it's totally affected her because she questions her worth. But she knows she's good, but she still loves her dad. And that's what's so hard is he's still my children's father and they want a dad. I mean, that's just the weird thing we're working through right now too. That's what I'm working through too. It's super, super, super hard. I watch my kids go with him every other weekend. Really what the kids mean to him is they make him look good. They make him look good at church. When he goes to the grocery store, everybody smiles and says, oh, you must be such a good dad or whatever. When they don't mean anything to him outside of the context of himself. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly right. My older kids can see that. So my oldest is 23 and then my next daughter is 20. And then I have a son who's 16 and a daughter who's 12. My 12-year-old is still really in it. But my older kids can see that. They've kind of accepted that fate. So what resources did you use to come out of the fog? It sounds like you went to therapy. Yeah, my therapist has been awesome. But specifically in therapy, I used EMDR, which has helped me so much. And then it's called Lifespan, just different therapeutic techniques. I love support groups. So when I first started, I actually used support groups on like Facebook because I needed somebody who had been there. And that's why I was like, I wish I would have had your site because I would have loved it. Those are the big ones. One thing that I tell people all the time is when you have trauma, it's like breaking a glass. Those little pieces of glass go into every other memory. You'll see a Coke can and all of a sudden you start to cycle and you have this trauma memory and you're like, why did I have that? And so being able to understand that really the trauma that we face is like PTSD. It's broken. There's parts of us that are so broken that we need to fix the whole. It's not just like fixing this one little memory. There's so many memories. There's so many pieces of glass 
embedded somewhere else, you have to go through this. So it's been a good journey for me. Are you still teaching? I am. I am still teaching. I teach high school English and then I actually did my MBA. So I teach marketing as well. So of our graduating class, one of us is an administrator who is divorced and remarried. There's you who has an MBA. Wow. Right. Me who runs the trail trauma recovery. There were a few other women that we hung out with. And there's such strong women who have been examples to me and who I've seen around over the years. It feels like, and it's not the case because I haven't seen you in 20 years, but it feels like I have this extended support system of women who love and care about me and understand. Yes, I would agree. I felt the same way I saw you and I was like, oh my heck, it was like no time has passed. And I'm impressed with women all over the world who are doing this, who are sharing their stories, who are opening up, who are coming together to stand up against abuse. I think it's cool, too, that the poor victim who your ex is dating right now, she is a victim just like we were, right? So my ex is also dating someone, and she seems amazing. She's got four kids. She seems super cool. She was victimized by her first spouse. He left her for someone else and he was a porn user. And now my ex is like, quote unquote, explaining it to her and helping her through it and helping her understand porn addiction. And I actually met her and she said, I just love that he's such a relationship expert. (laughs) No, don't do it. And I told her, which she didn't believe me. I said, you are currently in an abusive relationship with a man who is lying to you and manipulating you and grooming you for Actually, I proved his point because she thought, wow, she is really intense off the rails. I can imagine if they get married in 10 or 20 years, we'll be friends, right? Because at that point, she'd be like, oh, thank you for trying to warn me. I'm so sorry. And she might say something like, I'm so stupid or whatever. And I will say, no, you're not. You're great. I love you. You were victimized just like me. And it really is. I think that about my ex girl. We're probably would be awesome friends if this wasn't the situation. And I feel that for her too. I'm like, I know where she is because especially that love bombing and that grooming, you just feel so impressed with this person and love them so much that you're willing to do whatever. I would never hold that against her either. I feel like, okay, yeah, in 10 years, you're going to see what I went. I wasn't crazy. I'm not the crazy one. I'm not the one who caused this. And you'll understand. I'm sad too, because I'm like, I would never wish that on anybody. She told me, yeah, he's really explaining to me that it wasn't my fault, that I had nothing to do with it. And I'm like, that's great. But then he's blaming what happened with him on his ex. So it was a fascinating thing where she doesn't understand she's kind of living in this alternate reality. The other thing I said to her was, it doesn't matter. No matter what happens, I will always care about you. Like I will always be concerned for your safety and hope that you can see the truth. And I hope that. I just think of all of the women who have been victimized by lies, pornography use, manipulation, and it's heartbreaking. And I'm so sorry. Oh, no, thank you. And you've always impressed me with everything. Even when we were in school, you were just such a go-getter and so amazing and talented. And so when I saw this, I'm like, this is your mission. You see such a need here because there is, there's so many of us just struggling. For the last year, it's been me on a mission searching for help in so many ways and that you've assembled this is amazing to me because we need it. Yeah. When we were back in college, I'd never said to you, I want to teach people about porn. Did I? Or abuse. I was like, let's talk about Anne Frank. Let's do our Anne Frank lesson plans. Right. 
I know, multicultural studies, yes. <laughs> We've all been through a lot. If you could go back in time and tell the 20-year-old Diane when we're in college, if you could Bill and Ted yourself in the phone booth, what would you say to both you and me? Like if we were sitting in the library studying. I think the biggest thing would be to trust your instincts because lots of times I felt like something was off and I felt like it wasn't me, but then I would trust his words. I would trust the way he treated me and I would believe that something was wrong with me. So I would say, trust yourself and you are so unique and wonderful. And honestly, you are worth everything. And so don't let anyone ever take that away from you. We turn into mindless people thinking that love is just perfect and everything. And so we believe these lies, but instead just trust yourself and know that you are powerful. Obviously we didn't think it was abuse, but stop the things that are happening and have boundaries. Those are my two big things. Trust your instincts and have boundaries. Don't just give up your power. Well, the cool thing is you're still teaching. So you can teach your students about consent and misogyny and truth. I'm teaching in a different way now through podcasting and every victim who is able to see the truth and set boundaries and get safety and also hold perpetrators accountable, right? I'm holding my perpetrator accountable. You're holding yours accountable through, I'm not going to interact with you anymore. Every single one of us who gets to safety and maintains boundaries makes the world a safer place. And that's super cool. I love that. Exactly right. Your example of doing this is so powerful too, because it makes me go, I can do this. And so just the next person that we can talk to, that we can help, it just makes us that much stronger. Well, you're awesome, Diane. I admired you back then. You were going through college with a two-year-old daughter. It was amazing. And here we are 20 years later. So when you get back in town, we'll have to go to lunch. I would love that. Thank you so much, my friend. Seriously, you're amazing. And I'm so grateful for your work and just your friendship. You're amazing. Most likely along your journey to healing, you have connected with friends, old and new, who have been through this. If you have not already, will you please let them know about the BTR podcast and about BTR.org? We are making a big difference educating women about this type of abusive relationship and how to set boundaries and get to safety. I really appreciate every single one of you who shares our podcast episodes or follows us on social media. All of us working together to educate the world about this will make this world a better place. And although listening to the podcast is so helpful for many women, we have so many people who send emails in and messages and reviews on iTunes that tell us that this podcast has made a huge difference in their life. For as many women who listen to the podcast, there are also women who actually need to talk with someone who is safe. And that's why we created Betrayal Trauma Recovery Group. So if you have not seen the Betrayal Trauma Recovery Group session schedule, go to btr.org, click on services and then daily support group. If that schedule works for you, you can get into a session within the next 24 hours and talk to one of our BTR coaches and other women who have been through it face to face. One of the most important things for healing is to connect with women on a real deep level face to face. And so our live betrayal trauma recovery group will help you. And until next week, stay safe out there.